Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Trevor. And together, we're We're Occasionally Interesting, interesting. the podcast where a couple travels the world interviewing the most interesting people they meet along the way. Sometimes it will be sweet. Often entertaining. Rarely conservative. Frequently informative. Occasionally occasionally interesting. interesting. Who do we have today on the podcast? Luis. What's she up to? (laughs) She's a badass. She sure is. We have Louise Corbett. She is inspiring AF. We we talked to her about her huge transition from climbing the corporate ladder to the tippy top and then jumping off into a lifestyle of being a creative, independent entrepreneur who is bringing all of her unique interests and qualities to empower women through intimacy, sexuality, and love, and dance, and lots of other awesome, awesome stuff. She's, her, her energy is contagious, so prepare yourselves to feel really inspired. She's awesome, and we absolutely love talking to her. Occasionally interesting occasionally interesting they are occasionally interesting all right well i think i think it'd be best if, if you if you start and say a couple sentences about yourself because uh yeah yeah to your intro that you did in nomad meeting the other day that was good <laughs> all right okay so um you want full name or yeah okay. whatever you want to use all right okay well, yeah actually a lot of people in pie make up new names right i don't have one of those yet so i'll just use when i was born with <laughs> uh so yeah so louise corbett and um from sydney australia i've lived in the middle east for three and a half years singapore for a year and a half and and now hong kong for six I probably a year and a half ago, um, after 15 years in marketing communications, I was running marketing communications for um, Asia Pacific at AIG and incredible opportunities. Great. I loved my career, but um, about a year and a half ago, I just started looking at things very, very differently. And so when I was, you know, my plans were to be a CEO and I loved everything about the corporate world. I loved going to work. I loved my office. I thought it was, I was so lucky to be there. I had a great harbor view. I thought the corporate world was the place to be. And then about a year and a half ago, I just started seeing the world very, very differently. And I would be going to the office and looking around and thinking, why are we all marching into jail? And then I'd get into my office and I'd be like, I sit in a box for eight hours a day. I'm in a box. Does anyone not else see themselves in a box? And I really just started to feel very numb in, in what I was doing. And, um, which I think is sometimes worse than feeling bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, at that point, one of the things I'm really passionate about is empowering women. And so I decided to try and, I guess it was like being in a bit of a numb relationship. I tried to make it a bit exciting um, by doing the things that I loved. And I thought it would be great for our business as well. So I started organizing women's events, large women's events. Um, and the first one um, attracted 140 people, which is a full house. And we were, all of the money raised went to the financial literacy education of women from underprivileged backgrounds um, because I really believe that organizations can do so much more than they're doing, but they are busy. So sometimes they need somebody to come along and say, look, let's do this, give us some money, and we're going to make a difference. Um, and then from that event, they actually gave me the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, and that was incredible. So uh, that next event I did six months later because I didn't want them to take the offer away, and we doubled the attendance and doubled the amount raised. Wow. And it was incredible. It was the highlights of my one of my the highlights of my career. But after it, I was like, Mm-mm, still numb. 
And then I had dreams of starting a women's retreat, which has now happened and sold out. And it was after that retreat that I really thought this is what I want to be doing because it truly makes a difference in people's lives and the feedback that I got from the women. And that was a retreat in dance. So I love to dance and so I took my passion and my hobby um, and made it into a business. And actually in June of last year, um, I actually found myself in Israel in May and I loved that. I had a great time and I remember I was sitting on a sun lounge and I thought to myself, I can't do this life anymore. I can't live my life like this anymore. It wasn't bad, but again, as I said, it was just numb. And I said to my friend I was traveling with, I just want to be made redundant. I just, I want to be out of this and I, I just, but I also want some financial security to allow for me to, to go out and create what I want to create. And I flew back that night, got back to Hong Kong um, on Sunday and on the Monday afternoon at 4 p.m., the CEO called me into his office in Hong Kong and made me redundant. Oh my God. Wow. Talk about <laughs> manifesting. Good work. So at that, and the thing is actually a year, I, for a year, it was so weird because I was, I was, I was fine. I was really fine because I'd left every part of me had left except the physical part of me a year ago. And I actually have written notes to myself around the house saying, good morning, Louise, get out. You've got to go. It's going to be okay. But I didn't have the guts to leave. So when he actually said that to me, I was like, okay. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, yep. Yeah, I'm okay. He's like, should I go get HR or something? Uh. (laughs) It's like, yeah, that'd be good. And uh, yeah. So then now I've done my retreat since then. I'm planning my next one. Um, and during my time also in the corporate world, I started an organization called Women Empowered, which was really just something on the side just to do women's events and help women in the field of um, financial, emotional, and uh, physical empowerment. And the events that I was doing around sexuality and women were being, they were sold out and I had women begging to get in and I didn't have space to put them at one event. I had women sitting on tables because I didn't have any more seats left in a pub in Hong Kong. And so I thought there's something here. There's something in this. No one's really, sexuality is one of those things that everybody talks about, but no one really, sorry, everyone thinks about, but no one really talks about. And really there's only pornography. So if you're thinking about it and there's nowhere to really talk about it or express your thoughts and ideas around it, that it's going to leak out in unhealthy ways. And I think that that's what's happening. So I thought to myself, well, I can't, there are so many experts around the world that I don't have access, I can't bring to people in Hong Kong. And there are people outside of Hong Kong when I would post about the event on my Facebook group would be like, is this going to be online? Because we want to be in it. We want to see it. We want to hear it. And so I thought, well, I'll just build a platform. So I built an online subscription platform, which is called the Women Empowered Sexuality Intimacy and Love Platform. And um, I've interviewed people from all around the world, Brazil, USA, France, Canada, Armenia, um, Poland, about topics around women and sexual intimacy and love. I definitely talk more about uh, sexuality and how it ties into what exactly you are doing. But I had one question of what what was the catalyst for the perspective shift of now I'm working in a box versus... I have no idea. Really? I really don't know. And that is almost, that was the almost the worst part because I couldn't take it back mm. because I didn't know what caused it. It was like somebody just, I woke up one morning and I was just wearing different glasses mm. and it was very, it was like shocking It it because I was just like, why am I looking at this? This is the world I wanted to be in my entire life and I wanted to make big things happen here and now I don't want this anymore. Yeah. How did that change your 
attitude, daily life? It didn't change my attitude to my job. I always gave like 150%. But that being said, I mean, when recruiters would call me and say, oh, we've got this great job opportunity, I'd be like, no. But you have been in that role for six years. I'm like, well aware of how long I've been in this role. But the last thing I want to do is I've established my reputation here. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know the people I'm working with. The last thing I want to do is go somewhere else and do something I don't want to be doing in a place where I haven't yet built my reputation. You know, so stop calling me because, but then, but then the, the other thing was like, I don't know what's next. You know, I don't know what's next. And so it didn't, it just, it was kind of like I had a feeling of like, yeah, the way I try to explain it is if I went, if you go somewhere and you get there and you're like, I shouldn't be here. That was the feeling I had every day. Wow. Yeah. And it was a real feeling of discomfort, like a real feeling of discomfort. And it was interesting because I, I'm also a certified intuitive guide. So for six years, I was doing, I was working in the corporate world, but then I was just using that money to learn how to dance, travel the world to dance, um, raw food chef course, intuitive guide course, Reiki healer. So all of these, nice. I was morphing into something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I could absolutely feel that. And, um, when was I telling you that? There was a point to that story. Well, what is, what is an intuitive guide? <laughs> okay, so that so when I, I came out of a disastrous relationship breakup when I turned 30 and I thought my life was over and I ended up doing, I think when you're on the floor, you it's like you, you feel so shit that you want to replace the, the feeling of shit with something else. So you're like, well, I'm just going to do something that really scares me because then at least I'm doing something I can somewhat control mm. but still takes away from this feeling. And I'm kind of like I'm down on the floor so I may as well just do whatever. And surprisingly that was traveling on my own, Petri- like so scared of the idea of it. So I went to Ubud on my own and I actually met somebody in a cafe and never spent a second on my own um, during that time. But um what was your question? Why am I forgetting your question? Intuitive guy. Oh, that's right. Thank you. So at that point I was like, and then actually I ended up in Chiang Mai actually. So um, I ended up in Chiang Mai because I started yeah, doing this traveling solo thing and I met somebody that um, told me that I should start to meditate because if I don't, because I'm racing, my mind's racing. And if I don't, then if I don't slow my mind, my body will start to break down. If I don't start to slow my body, my mind down. So I thought, all right, well, God, let's start this meditation thing. How am I going to, you know, start doing this? Um, and then I started doing like YouTube, right? So I was like meditating with this guy who was like Shri, something from the art of living. And then I just started doing it every single day. Wow. And I started to realize I was here, I was getting messages. So I would hear like a phone line coming through. And I thought to myself, I want to learn more about how to hone in on this and then also do it for other people. So I did a ridiculously expensive course in, in Australia. Um, and so that means that I can tune into the inner guide intuition, the voice of others as well as myself, which everybody has access to. But if you don't work the muscle, you can't get the, the channel isn't clear. Mm-hmm. So that's why, yeah, that and that's why. I do. So I actually use that in many, many areas. If I run panels, whether they be corporate or not, I can feel into the energy of the room and understand where it needs to go. And if I can hear a question that should be asked of the, maybe there's somebody in the room that, so often when I ask a question, people will be like, I wanted to ask that question, but I didn't have the guts to ask it. So it really helps me there. And then there's something else I do, which is subconscious reprogramming using scent. So I was reading about that course that you offer with essential oils. That sounds absolutely amazing. And yeah, so, so brilliant. It's that I've never, I've never seen any, I mean, this is life changing. So it's essentially like reprogramming traumas by accessing them through scent. 
So like using different essential oils and going through like therapies. Yeah, Yeah, because scents can unlock the emotional brain. So if you smell something your grandma used to cook, you can immediately go back to your childhood or a perfume an ex-girlfriend or boyfriend used to wear. You can immediately remember those times. It takes you there. So we use scent to, first a scent to ground, so usually from a tree like a cedarwood, copaiba or a vetiver. And then um, people come with an intention, something they wanted for some time but haven't been able to achieve, and we dive into the subconscious mind. So the subconscious, you don't know what's at the subconscious level because generally that programming is between zero and six, but you can see it because it creates your physical environment. So if you're not seeing something you want in your life, there's something at the subconscious level that's holding you back. So we dive into that and we also identify a place in the physical body where it's sitting because this is a computer system. So with life, often as, as people age, their body starts to shut down and there's an aging process in that. But look at somebody who does yoga. Their body's open because they're constantly breaking through the blocks. And if you're doing like a hip opener, you'll maybe cry, but you don't know why. But with this, we're identifying the intention. We're allowing the negative voice to speak, which often we try and silence. But what we what we resist persists. So we allow it. We we shine the light on that, like a monster you think is in the bedroom, and you turn the light on, and it can't hurt you anymore. And then we identify a place in the physical body, and then we go back into the memory. So I often tell I tell um, my audience to like, if you because so often in Hong Kong, especially I see this happen, they try and solve the problem. Right, corporates like what's what, what something must be causing this, and often people will come to the session and say, "I want this," and I know it's dad's going to come up because I've got daddy issues. But the great thing is when we dive in, dad doesn't even feature because they've been looking at the wrong thing, and that's why they can't achieve what they want in their lives. So the greatest thing is you dive in and you see these memories that come up for healing. You set the intention to see these memories that come up for healing, and I always say it's not a it's not a job for the mind. The mind is not there to help you. The mind holds you back. You need to shut the mind off, which is why we use sense to calm. There are certain sense we use to calm the mind and to switch on the intuition. And um, and then what people do is I say it would be like if you're sitting in another country and you sit on the bed and you're in a hotel and you turn the television on. You don't predict what you're going to see, right? Mm. You just wait for a blank screen to turn into something and that's what people do. And then random memories come up and what they need to do is dive into the memory and watch it like a third person and rewrite the story. Because the past, so many people say, Lou, I don't want to do that with you because the past is back there and I've let that go a long time ago. No, you haven't. It's in front of your face and it affects every decision that you make. So you may as well rewrite that story because when they do that, then they can leave the session and actually see immediate changes in their physical environment, which demonstrates that you're your greatest healer. Because I can tune into the group and say, send breath to the heart, it's shutting down, send breath to the shoulders, the back, the neck, but I can't show them what they see. No one can. So I've had people start businesses, improve relationships, and it's so great because often people will be like, they'll ring me after the session and be like, oh, my God, Louise, this happened or whatever. But three months later, somebody might come to me and be like, Louise, that session changed my life because whatever. So, yeah. How do you locate where these things are manifesting physically? You tune it. So you, we do exercises in the beginning to calm the body down and try and get out of the mind and leave the ego out. And then what we do is we just tune into the physical body and I'll, you know, that game, I think it was called operation Yeah. where there's like a red, that's what I try and get to. I'm like, picture that, like, just feel like, ask yourself, where in my body am I feeling this right now? And it might be like me. I mean, for me, I'm, I can do it straight away. I do this on myself all the time, this technique, but you'll feel, or you might feel like a lot, like something flashing often when it hits the gut, I'll say, if it's in your stomach, try and see where it went after that because so often it's the second brain, right? So if something will happen to us, we'll lose our appetite, it hits us here, but it didn't stop there. It would have gone somewhere else. So sometimes people are like, it's in my stomach, but it 
It might be there, but it might have gone somewhere else. And we send healing breath to that because the breath is the, the thing that connects the brain to the body, mind's body. So we're constantly using the breath. So important. Man, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, Definitely want really... to do that. It's so nice to meet people who are kind of, who are doing you know this more heavy woo woo side of things, but do it, coming from a place that seems so much it's really grounded and like clearly you're a you're you're level headed, clear minded person, and you're taking these therapies and, and and applying them to corporate worlds, and that's so that's so unusual and wonderful. And certainly for me, it makes the whole thing more palatable. Yeah, absolutely. To be described in a less woo way. way, yeah, and that's so important because I think that this this work is so important for the corporate world. I mean, I've been in it, and I I know the corporate world needs this so badly. Like. Really, but if if you can't speak their language, they're going to be like, "What did you just say?" And I'm not yeah. having any of that. Like, yeah. so that's why I really hope with my retreats, I'll be able to speak their language to bring them into a safe place where they're like, "Okay, I'm going to give this a go," and then I can understand maybe what they're going through and you know the apprehension that they have around that because, yeah, they need the corporate world really needs help. It really needs help the way, and I think that that was another thing that I was seeing towards the end. Like, it's just like, why is everyone being political? Why is there so much fighting on the inside to get something out to the market? It's like we are fighting inside. So I'm putting so much energy in, inside before I can even get out to the market to try and do good work. So yeah. that's where and, – and comparison and that's dangerous. That's dangerous. So And I think finding that's – one of my main company, Exceptional Existence, our slogan is that you're here to do something that no one else can and if you don't do it, it will never be done like you could do it. So that's why they say the graveyard is the richest place in the world because all of these ideas and all of this potential has died Hmm. and never been realized. So that's why it's like stop looking, stop looking out at what everybody's doing and get to know yourself because when you pull that out, when you pull your authentic self out, there'll be abundance in your life in every form. I want to know about where your drive comes from and also – uh, are there any practices that you institute to take it from this place of ideas to actually making it happen? Cause uh, like so many people have these ideas that you're having, but you're out there and like executing them, executing them well with detail and like going after it. It's amazing to see. Yeah. So I think, I think probably also because, um, I felt that around frustrations about being in the corporate world, cause I was constantly trying to fight for budget and trying to get my ideas out. So now I feel like I'm just, free and I can, I have mm. all of that energy that I've built up, but no one's getting in my way, <laughs> which is really good. But I'm very grateful for that time because it taught me to fight, to f- keep fighting for what I believed in. So now I guess now that I can just execute. And I think with my retreat, so my first retreat, which sold out, I had so much fear around that. And I constantly surrounded myself with entrepreneurs because they have this drive and, you know, they allow for you to see in a different way. And I thought to myself, you know, I had the idea for my retreat and then I thought, oh, my God, so basically every woman gets her own instructor. It's in dance. And the idea came because a lot of women would see my dance videos and say, could you take me dancing? And I thought, in Hong Kong, if I take you dancing, you'll never go back. And it's not because of you. It's because of the scene. So I I guess I had that. I kept hearing that demand from the market. And then I was like, and then I just, during a meditation, which is where all of my best business ideas come, all of my best in corporate and outside, and I thought, you know what? I'm just, this idea came to me and then I was like so scared to execute it and I had to get two resorts. So I paid 
put the money down for two resorts. I had no one coming yet. I ne- This had never been done before. I didn't know if anyone was going to come. I had to have a resort for the dancers and one for the guests. And um, at one point I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do this. And then I thought to myself, if I don't do this, this is telling the universe I can't do this and I won't let that happen. So I'm just going to do it. And one of my friends who was a, a really successful entrepreneur, he said, listen, Lou, if you do it and it doesn't work, the worst thing that can happen is that you'll just ring up like 25 of your closest friends and be like, yeah, guys, I've got a villa in the <laughs> Philippines for a weekend. Would anyone like to join? Because no one signed up for my retreat. And he's like, so what's the worst that can happen? You know, you, but you have to do this. And, um, yeah. And so that's what I did. And, and I think, Look, to be honest, I think a lot of people were watching me thinking, Louise is insane and she's going to fail. And then. Why do you think that? Because the idea was crazy. Like, I was there, like, hey, anyone want to come to my dance retreat? Like, I've never done a retreat before. I'm like, but I believed so much that I could give so much to these women. Mm -hmm. And, and then, yeah. And then it just, like, I think they were just like, this is crazy. And then, and then the day came when I was. I didn't pay anything for marketing. I just went Facebook Live, Facebook Live, Facebook Live. And it was interesting because it was all ready to go and I was talking to one of my friends uh, who's my like one of my accountability partners. So we ring each other up and I'll be like, hey, Tony, I want to do this. And he's like, right, I got you. And then he'll check on me every day and he'll be like, how's it going, Lou? I'm like I'm doing absolutely nothing. And he's like, Lou, haven't you already like built the site? You've got the place. You've got everything. Why haven't I not seen anything on it? And I'm like, because I'm scared. And he's like, Louise, if you don't, do, if you don't tell anyone about it, no one's going to come. And so that was when I really started to like push and promote and promote just in my own network and um, nothing like an early bird price. <laughs> that gets people moving and acting and then after that, yeah, it sold out in like a month and a half and um, and I think after that retreat, I guess you just have to you just have to focus on the things that make you feel alive and do more of that because like your life is yours to live and you can only let somebody else live it for you if you let them, right? So I just have this desire this like just to live and own my life. And when you do, you just feel so alive. And then for the women to, like, after the retreat to say, you know, I've I found another part of myself that I thought I'd lost. I've never felt like this before. You know, that is success for me. Yeah. And I think that that's really key. Somebody very wise said to me once when I was freaking out about leaving the corporate world and I was like, and I had breakfast with one of my, um, two of my dear, dear, dear gay friends. They're a couple and they were having a staycation in Hong Kong. It's really interesting because they work, they're very, they're very uh, successful, but all they do is wait for their next expensive holiday. Mm. So it's like, when can we get out of this? God, thank God Bora Bora is coming up or like, can't wait to get to the Maldives or staycations, you know? And they said to me, Lou, so, okay, great. It was like, I'd been out of the corporate world for like two months. I built my sexuality platform and they were like, Lou, how are you going to make money? Like, how are you going to make? And it was this, I was like, wait a minute, you guys are supposed to be my, you can do this, get out. We'll like, we're going to be there for you. Like, if you need to stay, stay with us. And I had this moment of like, I fear, you know, and I was talking to one of my friends and he said to me, Lou, I think you really need to ask yourself what success is for you because is it getting to the end of your life and having a great, job a really impressive business card and a big salary because to me I don't think that's what success is to you I think it's making a difference in people's lives and I think that's a really interesting question that everybody should ask themselves what does success look like for me and when I get to the end of my life if I look back will I have considered myself to be successful and what does that look like I think most people are able to answer that question honestly to themselves no I think I think a lot of people have probably never asked themselves that question I think they're just doing what they always thought they were expected to do. And it's like the other question where I see a lot of women actually in my work 
they kind of break down around, which is um, destruction. <laughs> Should we go film? So, do you think? I mean, you're like one of the most, you're probably the most driven person I've met in Thai. And it's like, <laughs> I, I'm sure you've already heard that a bunch. And it's so nice to meet. And again, we have like a lot of, uh, we love Thai a lot, but are constantly leaving, going to Chiang Mai or traveling elsewhere. And like the main reason is that, yeah, like nobody's on our wavelength of being like, I feel like normally I am the person with the most hustle who I interact with on a regular basis. And that's part of why I started the nomad meetup group was to try to like meet more people who were doing anything other than mushrooms and spinning fire. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that, but definitely it's like, it's a very different lifestyle. And I just love, I just love being around driven people. I mean, there's just such a wonderful energy of like, contributing to the world but where do you think that comes from for you it seems like you've had it from a very young age i read something of like you started doing public speaking debate at 12 or whatever so like yeah you've had a you've had a message to get out to the world and the drive to get it out there your whole life yeah i think i just always i'm just i just have a drive to experience life like i just i i've always wanted to just like explore and like what am i going to do every i was thinking this the other day i was wonder if everybody wakes up in the morning and thinks how, what am i going to do that's exciting today like every day needs to be exciting for me. I just think this, there needs to be some, I just, yeah. Yeah. And actually the other thing that I, I, I know we hear a lot about, I mean, there's books around it, like the miracle morning. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that book. No. Well, it's, a, it's having a morning practice. Oh yeah. So a lot of people talk about <laughs> it. A lot of people don't do it, but yeah. it is a life changer for me. It, it changed the game. I think so. What's often, your morning practice? So I get up and I read. And drink coffee. So what do you read, What do you read? A, like Joe Dispenza, like something. Not, we're not like Mills and Boone. I'm not reading something like that's not you know some sort of fake story. It'll be something where I'm growing and building my mind. Like so, nonfiction. Yeah. Like, so okay. at the moment, I'm reading a book. Called, well, I'm reading several books on my Kindle, but um, there's one which is called um, "So You're a Badass." Love that book. Jen Cesaro is the author. Brilliant book for any like anyone that wants to like do their own thing. Um, Thriving through uncertainty. Great book. Uh, this time I dance. I think that's which is again same author. It's all about like just going into your place of uncomfortable, like just finding yourself there and just dealing with it. And the other one, I'm also a lot around women and sexuality. So there's one called um, The Way of the Superior Man, and the one for women, which is called Dear Lover. De Dear Lover. Dear Lover. Yeah. So I usually wake up in the morning and I'll be like, what do I feel like reading? But every morning I'm reading and I'm doing gratitude. So I have a journal, a gratitude journal comes mm -hmm. with me everywhere. We have ours with us. <laughs> I haven't written in them since we moved to Thailand. So. <laughs> You've got to get into your journal. Like it's so good. And actually when it comes to partners, I with my last partner we used to do Sunday night. So we would keep a gratitude journal in the nightstand and we would write like a page of like I would write what I'm grateful to him for and he would do the same and then we'd read it to each other. Aww. Really powerful, very, very mm. powerful practice. Yeah. Um and then I meditate. Yeah. And then I'll get and then I'll do exercise. So yeah. And it's funny how when you're in the corporate world you kind of make sure you've got that all done by nine. But here I'm like, it's eleven. <laughs> Yeah. I've got to figure that that's been hard getting a schedule like getting some sort of I've got to try and that's really discipline myself to yeah to make sure I keep a routine going because that's been a bit hard I thought you, get, you still seem like you're accomplishing like absolutely everything so what's the yeah, I, what's the problem why do you feel like you need a regimented schedule um because I don't want to get lazy I can't I imagine you have that in you like everybody says but yet at the same time I'm yeah I just I just want to 
I, I guess I have so many things I want to bring forward and I'm planning my next retreat, but also the frustrations around like the things are getting my, so for example, it's going to be in the Philippines, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to find for all of the things that I need to do because I bring the women into dance, but I'm always like doing women's circles, meditation in the morning, personal training. Yeah. So it's like, I, I can't find the location that has everything I need. Um, so that's also really kind of challenging that just, it's just annoying. I just really want everything to move smoothly and to make sure that I keep, I, I feel like I need a schedule. Like it really makes me nervous if I don't have one, to be honest. And I feel like I'm working. It's funny because actually I ended up at this incredible person's property uh, out near the elephants in Pi. And um, this guy that owns the property is from the US and he said something really interesting to me. He's like, I was like, I feel like I'm busier now than I've ever been. But And then he said to me, but I bet you feel more free than you've ever felt. And I'm like, yes, I do. And he's like, you know what? It's like you're now an artist and you have this blank canvas and you can paint your life. Yeah. And he said, and you've done your time in the corporate world. Now now this is time for you to like create your – and that's what I think I just – I documented this journey because I – and I was so surprised how many people came out and said, I've wanted to do this my entire life. I'm, I'm lost. I don't know what I'm doing. And I really believe that actually if you don't – if you don't bring like out the things that you want to do with your life and the dreams that you have, it will manifest as the same form of grief in the physical body. Yeah. Unrealized dreams manifest as grief in the physical body. I believe that. I really do. So it makes a lot of sense. What do you think is the thing that keeps people back? I mean, obviously it seems like some people are born with more drive than others. I don't think we're all get, we all get the same helping of it at birth. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially in Pi, don't you see all of this like inaction, stagnant? A lot of it. I was so surprised at how much I saw. And I think the other thing that made it kind of sad is that there's, it's not that there's a lack of skill yeah. or a gift that yeah. shouldn't be brought forward to the world. It's not like a place where people come to just like die. You know right. what I mean? Like it's, it feels to me, I've met so many, uh, especially women, because I, I hang out with a lot of women and, this is really my focus that have so much potential but two things um they don't have enough self-belief that really has come through a lot here i feel like the people are very genuine kind beautiful people in pie but i don't feel the, the self-belief um and then the other thing is i've never heard as many excuses yeah in my life as i have here like i just wish i had like a sign that said excuse that i could just lift up every time <laughs> somebody said something and i just be because i really and i really wanted to try and bring that message forward without insulting people yeah because i think sometimes they'll be like oh what, what do you mean i'm like no that's an excuse and you, you're creating it like i mean this is the whole idea right excuses we create ourselves fear we also create ourselves so you created it now you need to decide how much effect it has over you Right. Yeah. So fear's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. <gasps> but I think that that's, I think if, if I ever t hear myself telling myself an excuse, I'm like, mm -mm, I made that up. So I'm not going to live by it. And it's certainly not going to hold me back. Have you noticed any generational differences in these types of attitudes? Do you think that this um, indecision and fear is, is new in any way or more prevalent? I don't think it's new. No, if anything, it's it's coming through stronger probably in the yeah in the older generations. I think I see that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, the new. What do I see in the younger ones? I, I think in the older generations, I see more excuses, and maybe that's because 
you kind of get to a point where it's like, I should have so done this years ago, you know, and then you start to justify why you haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with the younger ones, I see their passion. But I think, I think with the particular, with particularly with the younger ones, it's like, well, where do I start? Yeah. And who am I to do this? Yeah. yeah. That comes through a lot too. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because I think actually that's the other thing I wanted to sh- also share, which I really believe it's actually harder to not be your authentic self. Even though it feels like it's harder, I think if you're yeah, not, yeah. it's worse. Yeah. So we started this podcast. Uh, I'd been working in the corporate world, and he was working as a server in a restaurant. And just we, in our jobs, had constant bullshit, inauthentic conversations, like pre-scripted things where you had to say exactly what was on the script, and it was killing us. And we originally came up with the idea to start the podcast before we knew we were going to start traveling the world. But just like when we were at home to try to be like. We need to, we need to have real conversations because yeah, it makes me, I feel like physically ill when I am forced to be inauthentic. I mean, my whole body feels wrong. I, it's like, it's and such an inefficient use of energy. Like absolutely. if you don't have an authentic goal that's true to you, then even if you're working towards a goal and whether it being successful in your career or whatever it is, you're sort of just moving sideways because you're not going up like you should be. You're just. And, and then it's a whole bunch of just wasted energy. And then when you start to actually take even just a piece of that energy and apply it to what is truly authentic to you, the universe just blows up. Absolutely. And it's like, here's everything that you ever wanted. Yeah. And it's crazy to, to I mean, we've watched it happen to us. I mean, I, I you know, we read about manifesting and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I wouldn't have believed it until it, I experienced it and was yeah, like, and you wouldn't believe how easy it is until you actually just like lean yeah. into it. Yeah. Because again, that energy just has so much more momentum to it because it's yeah. Like, when you're aligned real. with your path, when you, what's Colin's quote, when you can when you become who you are truly meant to be, you cannot help but benefit the world. Absolutely. And that's where the energy comes from as well, right? Where you, you just don't want to stop. You want to just keep doing this work. You want to work on weekends because it's exactly who you are and you're just bringing your asset. And I think that that's another thing. If you've got the energy to do it, you know you're on the right. Because so many people are like, I'm just so tired. And it's like, well, actually, you're probably not physically tired. You're emotionally tired. Mm. Because if you can think back to a time when you actually didn't have sleep but you felt so alive, you probably didn't need sleep. Yeah, totally. And I think that that really happens in the corporate world a lot. And actually in part. I, I it was I have no time for bad like mundane conversation and if anything I'd rather be on my own. Yeah. Like, I'd rather be like, you know Same, what guys, sure. I'm gonna head out of here because I certainly don't need your company. It's only if I want it. <laughs> but actually in Pi, I've had some of the best conversations. Yeah. I've met some of the most interesting people. I really have just I and there's not it's so like I was trying to I was able to actually wanted to put together a quote about this, but I couldn't quite I couldn't quite word it. It's like delicious chocolate or something like that just a good conversation it's just you can't it just fills you up in every way and i think yeah pie has been a place where i really found that i really really found that yeah traveling in general it's just meet so many interesting people that are willing to go and do something crazy like go to this mountain town three hours north the only city and and that just sort of weeds out people who aren't ready to make that choice or that yeah absolutely and I also always I was in fear of leaving my job and not having a business card anymore that would impress people yeah and actually when I left it didn't even bother me and I I feel like 
yeah, I, I don't, I it didn't. It was a fear that didn't exist. It just never, it never actualized. Wow, you know. And I think your your point also about like doing the things that are brave. I think if you start to take steps, and then all of a sudden angels fall on your path, and things that just shouldn't work out do, you need to keep going. And if things start to feel really awkward and difficult and nothing moves, then you probably need to stop and look at where you are. But I think the only thing that the universe will not help you out with is the discomfort, (laughs) the incredible discomfort that you have to go through because you can only go through that. But it will help you with angels that will fall on your path and be like, you're uncomfortable, but here's a place to stay. You're uncomfortable, but here's this helping hand. You're uncomfortable. But that discomfort where you wake up every day and you're like, oh, my God. And I think that that's the other thing. I had no reason. I have nothing. Make It's like I say nothing makes sense, but everything feels right. <laughs> and the great thing is when you've got no re- like you've got nothing to hold on to, that means that nothing can be taken away. So you just keep walking forward down the jungle path where there's no fucking path and you can't (laughs) and there's trees everywhere and then you take a step and you're like holy shit that tree moved out of the way (laughs) and then it just continues to go that way yeah so what is what does sexuality mean to you so that's really interesting um i think that that actually the reason why i also my journey around sexuality for women started when my breakup happened um, that i mentioned at 30 um and my ex-boyfriend had cheated on me um, and I found out on the night of my 30th birthday party. Oh, shit. <laughs> that he threw for me. Um, and then when we got home, um, it was a brilliant party, actually. It was a fucking awesome party. And then when we got home, I got contacted by a girl who was living overseas, um, and asking me what her boyfriend was doing with me in Australia. So, and we've been dating for almost two years. So at that point, I uh, I thought so wait, not just like cheating. He was living like a double. Oh life. no, no, no! I think she just thought that it was it was like three trips back to the Middle East because we'd moved from the Middle East to Singapore, mm. and so it was during those three times. I mean, they never even went out because I was like, how could you go out? We used to live in the Middle East, and if he, if they went out, they would have been seen by my community, you know. Yeah. So I was like, this doesn't even make sense. But I did. I was like. There's no way that he would do that to me. So I went to bed. (laughs) I was like, yeah, whatever. She just like, you know, because I asked her where she was. I was like, this is a lie. And the next morning I woke up still high from my party, went to the airport. And then by the time like I was in the lounge and I was, uh, I'd talked, spoken to all my friends. And then basically she um, had woken up, Dubai had woken up. And um, by the time I took off, I knew that he had cheated. So it was just all of this stuff that we talked about. I was like, well, he, he has actually cheated on me. So, um, we basically flew back. He denied the whole thing and uh, we flew back and within 24 hours I had moved out. I had no home uh, and he never saw me again. And wow. I, yeah, I had, again, another one of those moments in my life where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, and but I know I can't be here anymore because you can take everything from me. You can take my home. You can take everything, but you cannot take my heart and my dignity unless I give it to you and it's not yours and I'm out of here. And so I left and it was really interesting because in that relationship, I mean, we were serious. We were very serious. And, um, and the, I guess, well, the cheating part was a bitch, but also I thought to myself, you know what? I didn't actually even enjoy my sexual experience with this man really. And I thought to myself, I was going to actually potentially, we were talking about marriage and I was just going to, I said, there's got to be more to it than this. Like there's got to be more to it than this. It was like, I professed the universe with every part of my body. And I thought, you know what, you can't, it's got to be deeper than this because otherwise people can just be so easily replaced. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, the universe was like, oh, you're interested in that, are you? And then from there on, I had like, when I went to, that I went to Ubud and I met a guy who was actually, um, 
tantra yoga instructor and we spent three days together and this whole new world around sexuality opened up for me and I thought to myself, no woman. I just had this idea where I was like, no woman should be having bad sex. And at that point, then I started doing, then the universe kept giving me all these different, I went to Cuba, something happened there. I went to, I was in Bangkok. Yeah. I mean, all over the, and then I thought to myself, I'm not here to teach it. I'm not here to teach it, but I'm here to connect women because I feel so passionate about it that I think because I feel so passionate about it, because women, because people feel like they can tell me anything, I create this safe environment where I'll be like, why don't you come along on this journey with me? And then I take them to the professionals and the experts and I bring the experts to them or whatever. So that's where I really started to get curious about it. And when people like a lot of people are like, oh, lose building an app or a platform is going to tell people to have sex, how to have sex. It's not, there's a bit of that, but it's not only about that. It's about all kinds of things that women maybe not even, don't even think about or men, things like the damaging effects of pornography. And that has come up again and again. So I interviewed just last week a doctor from the US that um, was speaking at Mind Valley. If you're familiar with Mind Valley, yeah. um, well, it's a, it's a big gathering of people. I mean, she was talking about the fact that when she sees, uh, she sees a lot of young men come in, like under the age of 25, with sexual dysfunction. Yeah, and if they're under the age of 25, her first question is, "How much pornography are you watching a day?" Yeah. Because your body should be working just fine. It doesn't make sense. And she said, "It's every time it's it's pornography and." Mm-hmm because they're consuming so much of it. And this is our education around it. And, you know, talking about things like making the orgasm the goal, dangerous. And actually I spoke to one of the guys that's on my platform was talking about how the pornography industry is created like the pharmaceutical industry. It's created with addiction in mind. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and it's, there's sometimes there's a good place for it and there's a use for it. Like if you've got a headache, you need a Panadol, but if you're addicted, there's a problem and this is their intent. So talking about things like that, talking to women about the importance of embracing their femininity because so many women don't. And this is something that I see in the corporate world again and again. So a woman will go to the corporate world, she'll be masculine. She'll come home and probably bring that home with her. By the end of the day, she may not realize it, but she's exhausted. She's not her authentic self. And then in the longer term, it can really result in burnout. So talking about that, really talking about the idea of like being a queen. Don't be your partner's carer. If your partner's unwell or needs help, find him help, Find, make sure he's comfortable and he has everything he needs, but do not be his carer because no man wants to fuck his mother. <laughs> Things like this, right? So it's like and when, and when I was doing these interviews, I thought to myself again and again, I found myself thinking this is going to change women's lives. This is going to change women's lives. And looking at your sexual power, sorry, your sexual pleasure as your power because I think a lot of people don't look at the power of it. If, you're, if, if, if the result of an orgasm can create a life, what else can that power do? Mm. How else can you use that power for manifestation, for creating your life, using that energy and that power to take you to another place? Right now, we don't really look at it like that. You know, we don't. And then talking about like the power of cacao in opening the heart, the importance of disconnecting from your partner because if you don't disconnect, it's a universal law. The universe will throw you apart. So some of our professionals say, you know, have separate rooms that you sleep in it. Make sure you spend time apart because I think a lot of people are like, I should want to spend every living moment with my partner. Other, And if we have that, we're good, we're solid. But this is dangerous. And we talk about why that is. We talk about comparison. Um, we talk about, oh, really interesting. Also, another thing is one of the people that I spoke, I love this idea that she came with. She's like, if you're in, if you're staying in a home, like for example, if you're in a big house and you're in the other room and all of a sudden you're watching television and there's um, a 
horror scene that comes on. You won't generally adjust the volume. But if there's a sex scene that comes on, people will usually get the remote control and turn the volume down. So why do we do that? Why are we condoning like pain and horror, but yet we're trying to hide pleasure? I agree wholeheartedly. Absolutely. It reminds me of the, the comedian, um, the marvelous Miss Maisel, who's in the show. No. It's fantastic. He's, he's talking about, he's like, you know, we, we'll take our kids to see these horrific horror films, but God forbid they see people engaging in a loving act, and that's, that's completely inappropriate, and how absurd that is. Yeah. I mean, and why do you think that is? Why do you think society is... Control, oh, that's right? going to go way back. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah, I think that the, the no one wants to talk about the power of pleasure. That but Why not? And that seems. Well, I think that, that then it's it's like, why do they put fluoride? I mean, that's a whole nother. <laughs> why do I make my own toothpaste? Because I don't want to calcify my pineal gland with fluoride. So it's like, there's like, why would you give that power? I mean, you know, I, I really believe every time I hear somebody say they wish they were a man, I die a little inside. What? How often I hear do you it hear a lot. This? I hear it a lot. A, a lot in Asia as well, because the man is like, they get more of the inheritance yeah. and often. And, you know, a lot of the women are like, they consider that they just wish they were a man. And I think to myself, do you know how lucky you are to be a woman? And I had, I was watching, I was at the gym one day and there was a story on CNN about Saudi Arabia and women, the right for women to drive. And I thought to myself, you know what? You don't try and control something that doesn't have incredible power. You wouldn't cage an ant. Hmm. You cage a lion. This is certainly my belief of where, where the root of it stems from is a, uh, patriarchal oppression of women. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is, it's powerful. I mean, it's the reason why I think prostitution is what it is because it was a means for women to make money when they didn't really want women to make money. And if you allow it, then it wouldn't have had that financial control. And I think it's, I think it seeps into our society in ways that we don't, that are in just like, we can't really see that that is what really causes, but pretty ugly uh, motivation to begin with. And, and the, the impact that it has on society, like not giving women the right to say yes or no to sex because it's so taboo, like, you know, a young woman should not be having sex until marriage and, you know, and that's kind of changing. But, you know, I believe that if you're telling women that they can say no to sex, the other half of that conversation has to be, you can also say yes to sex and, and do it on your terms mm-hmm. and that allowing them to understand that power and that choice is a more sustainable solution to a lot of the things that come from what was really represented in the YouTube movement. Yeah, I think that was another thing that came up a lot, the idea around shame and guilt. Um, And also it's really interesting. That's why I really wanted on the platform to hear from people from all over the world because even with my women's events, the power of diversity of thought is incredible. I mean, just like you look at some a certain situation and you have around sexuality, for example, and you have a Brazilian woman look at that versus an Australian one, very different perspectives. Yeah. Very different perspectives. And actually when a woman, when a Brazilian woman, I've had this happen, when the Brazilian woman shares, the Australian woman's like, shit, why don't I look at it like that? You know, and it's so powerful. It's so, so powerful. So having all of these different perspectives and one of the women on the platform from Arminia, she was saying, she said that when she was younger, she actually started masturbating from a, from a very early age. And her mother told her that if she continued to do that, she would go blind and grow hair on her hands. 
I was, yes. I was impressed when I, when I was in nursing school, we had like a week long portion of it was devoted to child development. And part of that was how, how you should coach parents in dealing with situations like that. And they were very progressive and like, you know, conversation should be like, that's your private time. You should do it in your private area, but don't, don't demonize it. Don't try to make it into this moral hazard that's occurring like and it was, i was very impressed that this was integrated into the curriculum yeah it's i think i'm hoping that people are going to have more healthy conversations around it i mean one of the girls from um the girl again from Armenia, she was talking about how women are so focused on it we're so focused on our obligations but yet we don't put our pleasure as a priority and she always uses her poor mother who i think is around 65 and has never had an orgasm and so she's like hey mom i bought you a dildo and then her mom's like oh god and then she's like i think like two months later she was talking to her mom and she's like hey mom have you used a dildo yet she's like no darling i I haven't had the time. She's like, Mom, did you do the dishes today? She's like, Yes. She's like, Mom, do you enjoy doing the dishes? She's like, Not really. She's like, Well, could you put them down and go and have an orgasm, please? Because she's <laughs> like, Why are you prioritizing this bullshit obligations, but you don't care or put your pleasure as a priority? And that, Where do that's you think an, that attitude comes from. I think that's definitely, I mean, it's from an early age. It's not, it's like, you, you must do these things. You must, you know, this is what a woman does. She has to do the like you don't enjoy you don't enjoy sex. I mean, and that's probably of her time. I mean, she's sixty five now, so that's probably. I mean, my mother always used to say to me that she had sex twice in her life: once for my sister and once for me. I was like, "Mom, that's a huge lie." <laughs> have you have you asked for updated information since getting into this? Month? No, 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 no. And and that's I mean that's the thing we never really wasn't really taboo. I mean, she didn't really. I mean, she didn't really talk about it, but I. Yeah, I, I just think people – I mean, the other thing we talk about also on the platform is sexless marriages, which is a really big one. Um, and also, I mean, there's a woman that actually used to be in the finance. She was big in finance, very successful. She said, you know, it was my husband and I were very successful, but we didn't have a healthy sex life and we couldn't – and she said, once I finally found my sex voice, he'd found somebody else. Oh, no. And I think that's another thing that comes up. The two – another two things that come up is the importance of communication – so important and that when that's broken the relationship will break um and the other idea of because i constantly i really want the platform to be talking to every woman so the one in a relationship the single woman the one in a relationship where she's not talking to her partner the one in a relationship where she loves her partner and they want to go further together all of it um and the importance of it and but again and again it comes back to say it has to start with you right what does it mean to find your sex voice just to be able to talk about it Openly, because, honestly, yeah, that's desires. exactly how she's feeling. So there was another woman on the platform who, so interesting, she said it got to a point where she would have rather read a book than have sex with her partner. And I asked her to explain that further and um, she did such a great job at it. She said, Lou, well, the thing is, um, so we had so many problems and so what I would do was I would think about how long I could hold off until we had to have sex again so that, our relationship would stay kind of somewhat stable because if we didn't do that, then we'd have to talk about our problems and I didn't want to talk about our problems. So I just kept having sex as like less often as possible to try and keep the relationship going. And I just, and she's like, and that is why I would have rather read a book. And I thought, you know, when, when they said this stuff, I was like, there are women all around the world nodding at this for sure, you know, just thinking that's me. And I've been there before as well. So I think that this is this kind of sometimes it's so often 
that you don't have to take massive action. You just have to change the way you look at things and your life can change. See, that seems counterintuitive to me. I feel like if you're having sex, you could also not be talking about your problems then. Like, yeah. What do you mean? Like huh. that, that's what that's, so she's, she has it so they don't have to talk about the problems. She has the sex. She, th- yes. Uh, so she's okay. like, how long? Okay. When maybe we'll have sex again in two weeks. So that it's still like, we've got, looks like we've got some sort of relationship going and then we don't have to talk about our issues because I don't want to talk about our issues. Okay, I see, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and then she was like, but that was just all such a mess that I just thought I'd just rather read a book than, than have to deal with all of this. Yeah. Oh, so, so sad. sad. Yeah. 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 But it's definitely happening. It's definitely happening. So, and then the whole idea of like self-pleasure. So, this is another idea that comes up again and again. It's like, how can you ask and expect somebody to pleasure you if you have no idea how to pleasure yourself? And how can you expect somebody to pleasure you for longer than five minutes if your pleasure practice lasts five minutes? Which is really empowering because it's like you've got, it starts with you first. So fix you because that's everything, right? It's like everything in life is a mirror to who you are. It's actionable. That's exactly. That's brilliant. Yeah. Wow. Um, Are there, what uh, healthy, I don't want to say alternatives, but. Uh, to combat having porn as the only influence or topic of sexuality and mainstream existence, like what other things can balance that out? Yeah. So I think um, things like not making the orgasm the goal. So like just doing things just to feel good, right? So it could be just touch. And actually there's something that I learned about here in Pi that I didn't even know existed and it's called a cuddle puddle. Uh, Have you heard of a cuddle puddle? Yes, of course. Okay, so I didn't know that this. I was like, "What the hell is that?" And actually, I'm I'm really encouraging um, the girl that told me about it to start one here in Pi. Then because she just post about it on. Oh, she might have. On she the might. Pi family group. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Finally, she, because um, this there's you can access things like that. A lot of that kind of thing in Chiang Mai, apparently. Yeah. But not so much in Pi. So um uh yeah, and I think that this is just all about like. It's not. A, it's just a like a very innocent cuddle puddle. So it's just touching and stuff like that. But just looking, just focusing on that, because when you do make the orgasm the goal, it just changes the game in so many ways. And it just, it's like sometimes also, especially for men, the or after the orgasm, it's just an energy drop, right? So then it's like, oh, I'm so, I'm sleepy. But if you could just focus on just touching each other and enjoying that, then it just takes it to a whole nother level. And actually, I think it's very intuitive at that point. You don't really need a book, mm. right? So, But there are other things you can do like tantra courses, courses on connection, courses on communication and things like that because the problem is that when we learn, you, I think you can feel when you're with somebody who watches a lot of porn. Yeah. And one of our contributors said it's like energetic violence. Yep. Right, and you feel it. It's like, why are you cutting off my air supply? Why are you doing that? I, have you got an oxygen tank? Because if anything, I'd really like a little more. Like, why? What's with the spanking? What's that about? Like you, and it's like, and then they're so desensitized because they don't have the visual element, right? And then it just ruins the whole experience. So I think doing things like that, just being more, just exploring things and better understanding what makes you feel good without having to think this has to end in orgasm because then it just changes the whole game. And I think it, and then you just take your intuition takes over. You don't necessarily need a book, but I mean, I spent um, a week at a place called Tao Garden in Chiang Mai. 
really crazy guy, Mantek Chia, runs that. At very crazy. Oh, I think that's the guy Ruan talks about. He's like sexual Qigong. Yeah, like he's all about the chi, and yeah. he's very when he talks about it, it doesn't feel sleazy or anything. It's just kind of, yeah, it's it's very matter of fact. Um, but yeah, and he he has a lot of books that I. Like his bookshop is a sex shop. I'm like, this is not a bookshop. This is a sex shop. Look at all these crystal dildos and yoni eggs and stuff like that. So I think just constantly reading about stuff. I think I was telling you, I had two things that I, there was an interesting fact that I was, I had two little snippets. People don't think about it. I can't remember what that was. Yeah, what are you, what are you, what are these notes you've brought with you? Yeah, no, I was just uh, the other thing is that this idea of um, yeah, I mean, knowing yourself. Like, so we talk about erotic blueprints which is another really interesting thing, um, which so there's five erotic blueprints. is like sensual, sexual, kinky, shapeshifter, and there's one more. And I can't – so it's all about like knowing who you are. And so, for example, if I just went up to – if I went up to you and I just did this on the outside, like that, would you be like so turned on or would it be like feeling nothing right now or do you need more of a hard touch or more of a soft touch and then better understanding yourself so that you can understand what you need and then also understanding what your partner needs and the kink it's really interesting like how do you mix sensual so somebody that just needs like feather touch with a kinky who needs to be slapped so talking about that kind of thing and making sure to understand each other because so often the woman that was talking about um Natalie Summer, who talks about um, erotic blueprints, she says that so often relationships break down because there's no communication and there's no understanding. And so when you can understand each other and understand what each other needs, the game can change. And she said that also sometimes erotic blueprints, understanding your erotic blueprint can actually pull a relationship that's maybe somebody's cheated or it's broken down back into place because then that person's like, my God, I'm actually understood. I just thought she didn't know who I was, but she actually didn't know what I needed. Mm. So that can be really powerful as well. Um, and then I was just, we were talking about the, the importance of receiving. So women aren't very good at that. Um, and just the fact that like, the, I think you were downstairs, but the talking about like a woman's mind is very, very different. And a lot of, and so Skander, the guy that I interviewed on the platform, he said, don't think that your mind works like a man's. So a lot of women are like, oh, is he happy? Oh my God, is he turned on? I don't know. Is he enjoying this? Oh my God, I don't know. I don't know. And then Skander said, look, you're naked. You're there. You've done enough. Now it's time to focus on receiving, you know, and enjoying. So, and what are his tips for, for doing that? Because that seems like that'd be a, a hard thing to switch from only being a you know a, a servant rather than a yeah. A so I think serv- I server. think the idea of like men seeing a woman's pleasure so that came up again and again like the, the how much men enjoy that and how women don't really understand that men enjoy that so much mm. and we heard that from the central intimate saying you know men want to give to women and they want to see them enjoying yeah. so start to demonstrate that communicate like i think that's the other thing like so many women think like it's like i've heard this come up again and again like no one uses their words. I mean, not no one. A lot of people don't use their words. And then you assume that the person you're with should know what you like. But then that person's probably like, does she like it? I don't know. And this whole idea of why are you wasting your time? Use your words so he can understand what you like. And then he doesn't have to think, is she enjoying this? I don't know. Yeah. Why don't we just communicate? For some reason, we're just like, oh, yeah, like, oh, you know, and then faking. I mean, don't even take me down that. I mean, what – 
don't do it, ladies, because you're just going to ruin it for every other lady, you know? So I think that that's really important. Just use your words and understand your body first so that you can tell your partner because everybody's different as well. So, you know, understand what you enjoy, understand and own your voice and use it. Absolutely. Um, my friend Ruan, who I just mentioned, he was in a, a, a matriarchal sex cult for a while and uh like the main thing that uh they, they this cult did or like and a way to enter it was joining an orgasmic meditation class oming class where it was just the, the swapping partners every every session and the men fingering the women and bringing them to like it was breath work and like orgasmic orgasmic meditation but only men touching women because the men wanted to see the women orgasm the women wanted to orgasm and it was like you couldn't Nobody touched a man until like many, many levels and years into this cult. And it was just all about like giving female pleasure. It's very interesting. I think it's great. I think it's great. I mean, because that was the other fact that I learned actually. So apparently the dildo was designed. This is what I was told on the platform. So dildo was designed because doctors used to actually masturbate women to stop hysteria. Yeah. And they got tired. Doctors. doctors got tired. Oh, they would do it manually. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. So that's why the dildo was invented. Apparently, so it was like sexual, like sexuality, <laughs> orgasm, things like that, was used as for medicinal purposes. Yeah, and now it's just like this is hidden, and why should you want sexual pleasure? Yeah, because I think also there's a power there that that yeah that we've that I think is is no one really wants to talk about it or or own it. So there needs to be a lot more, a lot less shame around it. Yeah. So what would be your like three pieces of advice for any woman who's wanting to like change her life today? Yeah, I would say um, start to get to know your body, develop your own self-pleasure practice first, 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 so you can understand what it is that you really enjoy. Um, I would also say the second thing is just remember that your sexuality is not just being having sex. So it's creativity, it's dance. One of our contributors said, if you want to start to activate your sexual energy, you can do it right now. Turn off the interview and go and dance in front of the mirror. Yeah. So it's not just about, yeah, having sex. And I would say also, um, so really just doing what you love, being creative, being creative because you'll activate your sexual energy. And the third one is own your voice and use it. Own it and use it. Really communicate. So if you're in a relationship and it's dying, talk with your partner if you are in a new relationship make sure you're very clear about what you like and what you don't like and don't compromise on that own your yes and own your no when it's a no it's a no and honor that when it's a yes also don't hold yourself back beautifully said <laughs> thanks so much guys i've really enjoyed talking about this it's like oh my god i love talking about it it's so you're, you're so well spoken about it it's really uh, yeah it's fascinating to pick your brain do you have any questions on this subject or should uh I was just thinking about like sexual energy, energy in general. Like you mentioned when you're speaking in front of a crowd, even just, and I think it's, you know, probably a different form of it's a similar energy of like being able to read a room, being able to use your energy in a way that draws attention to you when you would like it and assert yourself. And, and, you know, you, you see people who are just so in tune to that and able to manipulate it how they want and it's, it's sort of fascinating to watch somebody who's really good at it be able to captivate an audience. And if there's any, any relation to that sexual energy and how those things kind of correlate. Um, yeah, well, I think your sexual – so 
like when I was mentioning your sexual energy is not just about sex, it's about really being creative, bringing your feminine, I mean, for women, bringing your feminine forward and out. And I think um, for me, dance is something I've been doing for six years. So it's something I always love to do. And then I really decided one day I was like, I'm not going to stop. Like I, I've gotten in my own way so many times that no more. Like every time I'd hear a Latin song, I'd be like, <gasps> my, like was, something happened, something woke, woke up inside me. So I decided no more, I'm going to do this. And it was really, really interesting because it, my, everything changed about me, my posture, my confidence. I mean, I was always pretty confident, but like, <laughs> you know, I just, would, I mean, I remember I was preparing with one of our executives with a PR agency and um, the executive we were working with was kind of slouching. And the PR agency we were working with said, you need to hold yourself up more in the interview because it will affect everything. And he said, I want you to kind of sit like, and then he looked over at me and he's like, sit like Louise is sitting. And then I looked at myself and I was like, oh, I am sitting quite like, you just own your body. And when you know your body, dance is a great way to do that. That's why I, I really want the world to dance. If they don't have to dance Latin, they can dance any style they like, but learn to dance because when you own, when you then, or even working out, anything like that, knowing your body means you can hold your body, right, and be present. And I think that the other thing is knowing yourself. So it's like it's like the, the thing so often with women that I see come up again and again is the issue with self-love because so often with women they give out, they give love out, and in giving the love out, that's how they expect to give it, to get it back. Yeah. And this is a dangerous practice because if you don't have it, how can you give it, right? So if I have no love for myself, if I don't pro- focus any time on loving me, then I've got nothing to give. But for some reason, we just we give this love out and we just think this is how we're going to feel love back. So making sure to like look after yourself, know yourself, then you can take yourself to the world. And when you know yourself, I think it helps you know like to know other people and appreciate the power and the importance of listening as well, which is so important. So, yeah. I want to ask you a hippy dippy question. Oh, I love those. Um, <laughs> how kitty are you? How would you define divine masculine and divine feminine? Like, what do those things mean to you, especially masculine? Yeah, I think the masculine is um, a lot about like direction and focus, whereas the feminine, I think, is a lot of more about kind of like creativity and being like bringing love into things. So I think that's also why. Um, men are very good at focusing on one thing, whereas women tend to be very good at multitasking mm-hmm. because we do so many things. But the man, the male, uh, the men is the you know, the, or the masculine really gives the direction. Um, and I think that that's that's the difference. And I think it's so important. It's so interesting because if you looked at a male a man and a man and a woman, you wouldn't be able to deny the physical differences. But for some reason, we think we should act in the same way. And I see this yeah. in the corporate world all the time. It's and never it made any sense. sense to me. It doesn't I, make sense, right? I think what we need to do is focus on our strengths yeah. and bring them together, right? Isn't it conceivable, though, that, say, the feminine would then be at a disadvantage of a society built around a mode of production that was driven by men for so long that we've created a, a system that is more conducive to a masculine energy? And then, you know, if you are a very feminine individual... We haven't monetized those skills as well. You mean in the corporate world? In the corporate world and, yeah, in general. Yeah. So it's interesting because when you actually, when I do my women's events, I always bring in the numbers, which really don't uh, don't give me much joy, but it's important. Um, and in my last women's event, we brought McKinsey in to talk about a research piece that they've done, which was called The Power of Parity, and it actually demonstrated that if you don't 
become more gender equal in your organizations, you're leaving about $4.5 billion on the table. Wow. And this is really interesting because it demonstrates the importance of the power and the importance and power of gender diversity. And it's really diversity of thought. Yeah, it's really diversity of thought and the importance of that. Um, and I think what we need to do is start to question – I mean, there's another fact that the, um, the majority of um, fintech unicorns – Companies actually um, are run by women, and that demonstrates an infrastructure that is really conducive to the feminine. So she doesn't have to be at the pub on a Friday night. She can work the hours she wants to work. She can still be a mother. She can look after her family, and she's running very, very successful businesses. And I think we need to start to question the status quo because I think no one's really doing that. I think we're just constantly working towards – one of my events, the panel discussion was – what is the archetype of a leader and should we start to question that instead of just thinking how do I have to manipulate my entire life and be so inauthentic in order to get to that place that everyone is striving for. And I think the reason why it also stays that way is because there are so many men at the top that have sacrificed their lives and done hardship allowances and worked hours and hours and hours to get to this archetype. Yeah. And so that, therefore, in, in a way, makes it stay as it is. But we don't start to question that. And I think we need to start to question that. And I was actually at a women's event in Hong Kong, um, and they, there was Cambridge University had come across to present on this study. And there was a man in the room, and this woman stood up and she said, you know, she was talking about like how men have this opportunity to network, and they're on a Friday night, they're out at the pub, and, you know, and she's like, I've got to go home to my family. And one, and a partner at the law firm stood up and he said, actually, I hate going to the pub on a Friday night. And I think we need to start to question that. We need to start to look at that. I was at an, I was running a panel at another a Festival de Feminine. So it was like this originally from France, obviously. And it was happening in Hong Kong. And it was really interesting. This woman, it was about having it all. And this woman was an entrepreneur. And she was saying that she got a text message from her son's school to say, there's your son's got like a Christmas carnival or something at three o'clock on a Thursday afternoon and her husband wrote to her and said don't worry honey I'll take him I know you can't make it and she had her own business and she thought to her and she said I looked at my husband's message and I thought but I want to go to that and I had this real aha moment at that point because you see women's like there were a lot of women's panels where, where it's like juggling it all how do we do family and you know and work and all of the other stuff that we've got to, how do we manage it if you ever had a man suggest or run or if there was a men's panel that talked about that people would be like why are you talking about that because men are just never given the option right and I really think that with time it's going to cause a lot of male depression because it's like you're a man you earn the money you go to work what about the man that wants to stay home and look after his kid you know I think that this is something we need to start to look at because women are like oh my god I have to juggle it all well at least you have an option my dad was a stay-at-home dad Right. And I just don't think, and actually that's why for my next women's event, I want to do a panel of trailing spouses that I'm in yeah. and see what they go through because a lot of them are going to like mother's meetings yeah, and they feel terribly left out. They hate it yeah, because they're judged. They don't fit in. The women don't accept them. Aww. So we need to start having these conversations because I think a lot of people think I'm a man hater, but I'm absolutely not. And they need- Why would it, you don't now come off as a man hater at I'm all? I'm so focused on women. How does that mean you hate men? Well, because I think that they just, that was just their assumption. I mean, if I ever go to an event where people are like throwing up statistics about the pay gap and how badly women are treated, I'll walk out. Yeah. Because that doesn't get anyone anywhere. Yeah. That's why we focus on the strengths of women and what women bring in organization so that people can leave thinking, shit, we need more women. 
they're really great. Not like, oh my God, we've got this problem we need to fix. And I think generally also a lot of what, what has happened in the past is we have this problem and then we just give it to men and we're like, could you fix that for us, please? And they really want to help. <laughs> but they don't know what to do because they don't understand it. And this is what's so also interesting from my events. The men that come, and we don't have a huge number of men. I always try and get the women to bring a man along. But when they come, like after the event, people come up and give me their feedback, which is, thank God, very positive. But the men come up to me. And what's so interesting is their feedback because they will often come up to me and they'll be like, we just didn't know. <laughs> we just didn't know this was happening. Like, oh, my God, this was so eye-opening, Lou. Like, we just didn't – we had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's always, it's always an interesting conversation of, like, Trevor's such a, a good human being that he is always just, like, flabbergasted and doesn't – is, like, I can't comprehend these terrible things that I hear about men and, like, things happening to him and, like, it's so far and from his own life that he's, like, this doesn't make sense. How is this happening? But to yeah. be fair, I mean – I feel like people will treat you the way that you demand to be treated. And I don't, I, I think that, you know, while the way that they're treating you, if that is bad, is poor, is a poor reflection upon them. Ultimately, the solution is not to try to change them, it's to try to change yourself and demand better. And until you do that, there's, it's just, you can say it should be different, but it's insanity to expect anything but. Like, my cousin, more of an aunt, uh, is a very strong, grounded, powerful woman and we were talking about she's, she's a conservative she lives in a, in a rural upstate New York really this kind of red area and we were talking about sexual harassment she's like I'm, I've never been sexually harassed she's a, she's a nurse she's yeah I mean, and, this is like during the Me Too movement when it was like really just getting started and huge and, and I mean and having that conversation with her was really fascinating because in my opinion I feel like why she was able to say that and say that truthfully was that one, she wouldn't have tolerated it. So if something did happen, she would have put her foot down and said, this is not how mm -hmm. I'm going to be treated. No. And then the way that she looks back upon those instances is completely different than somebody who's saying I was sexually harassed and there was trauma from that. It's more just like, mm -hmm. this is something that happened and I didn't allow it to continue to happen. And that was the end of it. And the internalization that, that brings forth is, is, interesting and i think relevant in these conversations i mean especially with the whole me too movement not to you know a white male i don't have too many but like you know i i think that but again as jen was saying i'll acknowledge that i'm blind to a lot of the actual events that are occurring because yeah. I mean, even if i saw that i i wouldn't tolerate that like mm -hmm. i wouldn't be in, 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 a, in an environment i wouldn't associate with people who did like you know like it's, it's difficult for me to be like well what the hell's going on here like I realize again, I have a very skewed perspective on that, and I think that the, I think I think Me Too is an important thing that had to happen. I think that there is a, but I don't think this is overtly like males trying to subjugate women. I don't think that that's the majority of it. I think that you know it may have came from a place like that, but I don't think I think generally people want to see the best in others and to bring forth that in others, and and they want to do their best. And yeah, and, and to, to blame it all on male's behavior, I think, is doing a disservice. And there is some of that. I mean, there's plenty of blame to go around. I'm not saying that there isn't. Like, yeah. And when, it's, when it should be there, it should be there. Like, yeah. You know, screw Epstein. Like, but I think if you're missing the other half of that conversation, of women need to be confident and 
have the right and the ability that goes back to what I was saying of like you should you should teach women that they have the right to say yes and no, don't associate with the shame and I, I haven't seen that conversation as prevalent and it worries me yeah, yeah. and I think it's gonna you know I immediately go to the political aspects of it I think that alienates a large group of uh, the United States population like those red more traditional more traditional roles they see this as an attack on, on men their sons their their way of life as a, as a woman who's a mother and and it's as the sort of opposing force that was unintended yeah and sort of radicalizes people to the extremes on both ends and people just dig in their heels and don't really listen to the other side at all yeah no, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think, yeah, you do. You teach people how you want to be treated or how you to be treated just by your actions. And for me, I, I too have never had experience with that at all. And I was actually only just talking about it like two hours ago, wow. Shakina. Yeah, about this very topic. And I think, you know, you, you either, I mean, I used to work with very, very masculine men in the Middle East um, who used to be in construction. And they said, like, Lou, we'd, I was the only woman on the management team. And any time they'd go down an inappropriate path, that, like one of the guys, David, he said to me, I don't know how you do it, Lou, but you just shut it down. And then we realize, and then one second, and then second later, you're like, wait a minute, how do we go off that dirty topic we were on a second ago? Like, because I will just not tolerate it. I have no time for it. And that's why the Me Too movement, I don't bring into any of my women's events because I don't understand it. I've mm -hmm. never experienced it. So I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to put it into my event because I'm not one to speak about it. And I don't want to trivialize it just because it's never happened to me. Right. So I just don't, that's why I don't you're the only the second person other than his aunt who I've ever heard say it hasn't happened to me. And I'm certainly not masculine in the workplace. It will not be that. Because, yeah. yeah, it's not. I don't think that gets you in anywhere. I think that is, I mean, even with my Find Your Voice program that I do to help people find their authentic voice, as I was saying to you the other day, it's one-on-one -on -one because I'm not teaching you how to speak like me. I'm learning about you and pulling you out because if you speak authentically, if you don't speak authentically – you, people are going to feel it. They're just going to be like, there's something not right about that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all about like just being. Yeah, like, I think it's even like in like the playground where you know, some people get picked on, some people don't get picked on. It's an energy that you give off of like, oh, I'm going to fall, crumble to the pressure that you're putting on me and act the way that you would like me to act. Yeah. And, you know, it starts at a really young age. And if we don't ever grow out of that, then people are able to control you and make you do things that you would otherwise prefer not to. And it's, it's interesting that you know, it'll be fascinating to see how to actually tap into that and change that about somebody, being able to make somebody more assertive. It's a tough thing to change, I feel like. It's a tough thing to change, but I think that then comes back to finding out who you are because mm -hmm. no one knows who they are. I think that's really, like, if I find, I mean, I do a lot of workshops with women, so I really ask a lot of women, but asking what they love to do, what they would do if they weren't working, what they're doing, especially mums, especially mums. Like what do you do for yourself, self-care, self-love? What do you love to do? Often majority come, like answer that question with I don't know and then they cry. Uh -huh. Yeah, it happens again and again. It's not. How do you move past that in a conversation? Like, how, do you, how do you allow them to open up and truly find that answer? Well, often you won't get to the, the bottom of that by the end of the session or the, the group session um, but I think you just work on the fact that they deserve to look after themselves and why it's so important 
So one of the things that I use that is a good visual that everyone can kind of understand is when the plane's going down, whose oxygen mask goes on first? Yeah. Right. And then you look after your child because if you don't have air, you can do nothing for them. The same thing is with love. And, you know, if if your mobile phone isn't working anymore because it's run out of battery, the first thing you do is you plug it into a socket. But we just keep going. And and for some reason, it's like you walk into a meeting, you're like, my phone's dying. And they're like, oh, shit, let's find you some. <laughs> like, you wouldn't go in and be like, I'm about to, like, burn out. You know, you're just like, let's go on with the meeting and, like, I'll just, like, run myself into the ground quietly. A, a, a common theme in AA and Al-Anon of it's really about self-care, like especially Al-Anon where you can help somebody who's an addict and if you're not taking care of yourself, you're screwed. Yeah. Do you know the mantra? Which one? <laughs> Accepting the things I... Grant me the serenity uh, to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think I... I I was just thinking about this last night, actually, when I was walking back from Sabai Garden, and I thought to myself, you know, I like I just really want to love the world, but that's certainly something that's gr- – I mean, I've always wanted to do that, but it's grown more and more and more the more I've loved myself, 100%, 100%. And I think people are like, they're like, why are you so like loving with everybody? I'm like, because I love myself. Yeah. And I've got – so this is – I heard – I love this. I love this. One woman I was watching said this. She's like, you need to love yourself so much that you love others from your saucer. From your what? Saucer. So it's it's overflowing from oh. the cup that you're loving from your saucer. Uh-huh. It's just like, I've got so much love here. Just take from the saucer, you know? Yeah. That sounds sustainable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we'd like to thank you for coming out. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you it's for sharing your brain with us and the world. It's a wonderful yeah. brain. It's been very nice getting to know more of it. Yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye. Next time on Occasionally Interesting, we speak with Sarah from Safety Wing on creating the first country on the internet. I mean, when we talk about the free market or or even use the word capitalism, I mean, capitalism has a bit of an evil ring to it. Uh, But to me, that expression just means human nature on a macro level. Um, And then how we need to handle it. I mean, if you look at human nature on a macro level, that's essentially just a ton of humans and I, I like to imagine that as a river you can't stop it but you can try to direct it be sure to tune in next week for more occasionally interesting